Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Wednesday, the 10th of November, and in today's briefing, Katrina Blowers... The legal fallout from Travis Scott's crowd crush. Yeah, this is part of his message the day after eight people died at his Houston show on Friday night. I'm honestly just devastated and I could never imagine anything like this just happening. I'm going to do everything I can to keep you guys updated. Love you all. So as you can hear there, the superstar rapper is clearly shattered by what's happened. But when you dig a little into his history... It's actually not that hard to imagine something like this happening. So that tells a bit of a different story. Twice in the past, at that show in 2015 and then in 2017 in Arkansas, he was charged for inviting fans to rush the stage. He also pleaded guilty to minor charges in both cases. And that 2017 incident was even included in his own Netflix doco. While night in northwest Arkansas lands a famous rapper leaving in handcuffs, rapper Travis Scott was arrested. In this episode of The Briefing... How could Travis Scott's history affect the legal fallout from Friday's deadly crowd crush? Mr. Scott has had other incidences in his career where violent acts have occurred at his concerts. And so that type of conduct is going to be introduced and relied upon heavily for people seeking those exemplary or punitive damages. That's our briefing deep dive in just a moment. First, here are today's headlines. Another day, another green energy policy announcement. Today, the PM will unveil a $1 billion investment fund to support low emissions technology as he continues to spruik the government's plan for net zero. Yeah, so this one's called the Low Emissions Technology Commercialisation Fund. It's going to invest in Australian businesses whose technology can help us get to net zero by 2050. Half a billion of that will come from the government. The other half is designed to be matched by industry. So the PM's only been back from the Glasgow Climate Summit for a few days, and this is the second big announcement in as many days. Yesterday, it was $250 million for electric vehicle charging stations, and he was really challenged on this announcement because his newfound passion for electric vehicles is in fact a direct contradiction mm. to the last election where they said Labor's plan would end the weekend. I don't have a problem with electric vehicles. I just have a problem with governments telling people what to do about what vehicles they should drive and where they can drive them. Yeah, so that's how he kind of hit back on that question about his backflip on electric vehicles. And what he's getting at there is that he doesn't want to um, bring in a target for what Mm. percentage of sales should be electric vehicles. He also doesn't want to subsidise the purchase price and make them cheaper for us. They seem to be more interested in just building the infrastructure. So that's bringing a lot of criticism from Labor. There are other ideas as well that were part of Labor's package that are actually being brought in by the New South Wales Liberal government, like getting their government fleets to purchase EVs because they make up half of new vehicle sales, the fleet sales. So there are other ideas they they could bring in here. It'll be interesting to see what they do between now and the election. Well, the financial world is closely watching the Tesla share price, which has been dropping overnight. Now, this comes after Elon Musk took a Twitter poll over the weekend, asking his followers whether he should sell $20 billion worth of shares in his company. Yeah, so at the time of recording this episode, which was halfway through the trading day in New York, the share price had dropped 10%, and that's after falling nearly 5% the day before. 
Now, he's known for causing a bit of a ruckus on Twitter, Mr Musk, and in this latest tweet he said, much is made lately of unrealised gains being a means of tax avoidance, so I propose selling 10% of my Tesla stock, and then he put it to a poll. Yeah, and so the poll voted, yes, sell, um, a majority of 57%. I imagine the people who voted no might have been Tesla shareholders worried about (laughs) what's happening now. And basically what he's talking about is this proposed bill from the Democrats called the Billionaire's Income Tax Bill. And it's aimed at taxing the shareholdings or the unrealized gains of billionaires because often their net worth goes through the roof when their shares go up, but they don't have to pay much tax on that because they don't take it as income. They just hang on to the stock. Now, other people have been kind of curious about the timing of all of this. Uh, Elon Musk has some stock options that are about to mature and it could be a good time to sell because their share price has gone up up 147% in the last year. Now, Tom, Elon Musk, under a previous court deal, was Mm. supposed to get all of his tweets approved by the directors of Tesla. Mm. Um, Don't know whether he went rogue this time after a few wines or whether this was part of a bigger strategy. It'd be a wild ride being on that board, wouldn't it? (laughs) Wouldn't it? And Queensland's revealed tough new restrictions for unvaccinated people, while the ACT is going to relax COVID rules two weeks early on this Friday. Nightclubs can reopen uh, and dancing is back. Moves like Jagger will be seen on dance floors across Canberra. Oh, Oh, God. Who writes (laughs) those speeches and the way they deliver them? ACT Chief Minister Andrew Barr speaking there. Uh, Meanwhile, the Queensland Premier has really pulled out the stick to try and get lagging vaccination rates on the up in her state. We're at about 68% double-dosed here in Queensland, Tom. And so that means from December 17, the unvaccinated aren't going to be allowed in to pubs, clubs, cafes, theme parks and sporting events. So no cricket at the Gabba if you're unvaccinated. Yeah, that might might work on a few people. Um, Yeah. It's interesting, the discrepancy in vaccination rates. I know we got some feedback last week that I championed New South Wales' approach a bit too much on the podcast, so I apologise for this. But New South Wales hit 90% double-dosed yesterday and just across the border in the 60s. Yeah, that's it. And I think it's because we've been living in this COVID-free bubble for Mm. so long and people are thinking in Queensland, I don't really want to travel overseas just yet, so why should I? All that's going to change on December 17 when those borders open and COVID does come into this state in big numbers. China's carried out military patrols close to Taiwan as it hits out at the US for sending a delegation of politicians to visit the self-ruled island. Taiwanese media has been reporting the arrival of several American members of Congress and the Chinese military says it is also aware of that visit. China doesn't like this. They've described previous visits by US politicians to Taiwan, which it considers part of its territory, as a vile political provocation. Wheelchair tennis champion Dylan Alcott has announced he'll be retiring from the game next year. The Australian Open in, in, in a couple of months will be my last tennis tournament. I think I've done everything that I need to do here. I don't want to be that old guy who's hanging on, getting beaten. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he thinks about being old and he's 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not sure how I feel about that. Um, yeah, so... 
He's had an amazing tennis career. Um, he was a high-level wheelchair basketballer before that, by the way. The first man to achieve the Golden Slam in his sport, winning the four major tennis singles and the Olympic gold all in one year. So a lot will be riding on what happens mm. at his eighth straight Aussie Open. Let's hope he wins and goes out on a high. Uh, that's on in Melbourne in January. Can you imagine the party Dylan Olcott's going to have when he finishes that tournament? There was that great um, footage of him at the US Open this year, just sculling a beer <laughs> and pouring most of it over himself. And he has an amazing sporting reputation, but um, his reputation in the party scene is almost as strong. So it's going to be a pretty exciting time for Dylan Olcott <laughs> and all of his mates. Oh, good stuff. Probably lucky he's not going to play again after the party that's going to happen after the Oz Open. Exactly. All right, we're talking about the crowd crush in Houston over the weekend in just a moment. Then he started a countdown and all of a sudden people just compressed up against each other and were pushing forward and backward. As the timer got closer to coming down to zero, it got worse and worse. And I, I looked at my boyfriend, Sam, and I, I told him, I was like, we have to get out of here. That's the voice of one of the 50,000 people in the crowd for the deadly Travis Scott show on Friday night. Her name is Madeline Eskins, and she's speaking to CNN. I just remember passing out, and then I was in and out for a little while. Someone pulled me over a fence, uh, and then I passed out again. And when I woke up, I was in a different area in a chair with a water bottle in my lap. So despite what was happening in the crowd, the show kept going. Uh, this was the Astro World Festival, Travis Scott Festival. It did finish 30 minutes early, though. We need somebody to help him. Somebody passed out right here. Security, somebody help. Jump in real quick. Keep going. Jump in. Come on, come on. Security, get in there. Let's get in there. Let's get in there. Let's get in there. Let's get in there. I get those goosebumps every time. And since that crush happened, it's come out in the New York Times that the local police chief went to Travis Scott's trailer and warned him about the energy in the crowd before he went on stage. I want chaos. So the law. Let's go. Let's go. So that and Travis Scott's history really make you wonder whether he could have done more to prevent a tragedy like this happening. As we mentioned at the start of the episode, he's pled guilty to minor charges relating to dangerous antics in 2015 and 2017. And now, Katrina, there are more than a dozen lawsuits underway stemming from Friday night's tragedy, and that number could have gone up depending on when you're listening to this podcast. There is also a criminal investigation happening and that will focus on what Scott and the event producers knew when the crush was happening and whether they should have done more to stop it. Joey Guerra was at the gig. He's a music writer for the Houston Chronicle. Joey, thanks for joining us. For those of us who don't know much about Travis Scott, who is he and what makes him unique? Travis Scott is a rapper. I mean, I think that is just kind of the baseline where you start, but He's also he's really much more than that, I think, to the people who love him and follow him. He is from here, from Houston. So particularly here where I'm at, he is beloved. You know, he's this Astroworld Festival was started in 2018 as a tribute to Houston to celebrate Houston. Astroworld is the name of an amusement park that I think anybody who lived in Texas kind of knows and loves and remembers. So he recreated a lot of the imagery and memories and games and rides that we remember from that at this festival. The way I describe more than just his music is it's like it's a culture almost. I mean, his fan base is a community. These people 
not only listen to his music, they listen to him, they love him, they look up to him. There are points where it's about more than the music. When you see him live, there's kind of this exchange between him and the audience. It's just, it's really electric. And like, as much as he hypes a crowd up, they also hype him up. I mean, there's a point in the Netflix documentary about him where they're talking to young males who are the bulk of his crowd. And they say things like, Travis Scott saved my life. Travis Scott um, made me feel like I was a part of something bigger. So he really means a lot to these people. For everything, everything, he saved my life. I was like super like depressed. I had no one to turn to and he was the first person to let me know that I wasn't alone. I love you, bro. Thank you for saving my life. His gigs are known for being almost like punk rock gigs in their physicality, mm-hmm. like bringing back some of the, the moshing and that sort of intensity that used to come from different genres of music. So you said that he, you know, in some ways tries to step in and help people, but it seems like he really eggs on this violence. And, you know, the, the revelations for most of us who don't, don't know him, that he's been convicted on, on similar but minor charges before, really makes you wonder whether he was irresponsible. When you really just lay it out there, of course, absolutely, there is responsibility on his part. I mean, his shows are known for kind of this very fervent, aggressive kind of energy. He has been cited in the past before for things like that. I mean, I've been to lots of Travis shows. I've been to hundreds of shows where similar things have happened, you know, in the crowd, not just for Travis, not just hip hop shows. So, yes, absolutely, he holds some responsibility, but I I really don't think, honestly, that there was any way he could see what was actually happening to the extreme that it was, honestly. What do you make of this theory, Joey, that some people in the crowd were being injected with drugs? Yes, we've heard that. We heard that very early on from the police chief here in town. Um, There was another report that a security guard was actually injected with something. He felt a prick in his neck and when they examined him, it was consistent with like if somebody had put a needle in his neck. So yeah, I mean, I think there's a very real possibility that there was something else going on because I think if this was just a case of the crowd surging and people being trampled, I hate to say that, but I honestly think there would have been a lot more tragedy in this situation. So you're still holding out, I guess, a question mark that the eight deaths weren't necessarily from the crowd crush? Is that what you're saying? I think there's a possibility here in town, the police are definitely investigating those rumors and allegations about drugs and needles and things like that. It's really tough to kind of wade through all of this because unless you were right there in that mix of people, you really didn't see what was going on. I mean, that's why it's so tough, I think, for people to process because they were there enjoying the show while this was happening. It's just an unsettling thought. You've written a beautiful piece in the Houston Chronicle about your experience at Astro World and how for you it's changed that live show experience forever. Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean, I think for me coming into this show, this was the first concert I'd covered in 18 months. I had a lot of reservation about covering it, if I'm being quite honest. Because of COVID, you know, I still felt very reluctant to do things. I put off covering concerts for as long as I could. Even though this was an outdoor event, I still wore a mask. I took hand sanitizer. I tried to stay a good 
length away from people. And then having done all that to have this happen, and especially just the way it happened, you know, it's surreal to think that I was watching him play. Drake came on stage and that these horrible things were happening. And I had no clue. I mean, I didn't have a clue during the show, after the show, on my way home, when I got home. I didn't have a clue that this happened until someone texted me in the wee hours of the morning. That was Joey Guerra from the Houston Chronicle. Let's take a deeper look at the legal fallout. Randy Sorrells is a Houston attorney who was the president of the Texas Bar. So Randy, what's the process now with filing those lawsuits? Is that underway? Yeah, there's been a number of lawsuits filed, including several today, a couple this last weekend, and they're trying to basically secure the evidence uh, on both sides. I know that there were lawyers out for now the defendants that Friday night uh, already on the scene, insurance companies heading to the scene, and now lawyers for the victims at the scenes as well. So there were 300 people injured. Does that give us a sense of how many people could sue? Well, that gives you a sense, but I think you're going to find more than that probably were involved in what I'll call the post-traumatic stress disorder, which is much better recognized today than it was 20 years ago. Lots of people saw folks who died. Uh, they were felt the pressure, the crush themselves and didn't think that they were physically affected, but they realized now that they could have been one of the you know unfortunate victims. That weighs on people's souls as well. Why is it important to act so quickly? Why have these lawsuits come about, you know, some within just hours or days of, of this incident occurring? Well, evidence can be lost. You know, cell phone videos taken by employees have to be now preserved. Temporary restraining orders are put in place by our courts that are supposed to prohibit uh, those who have been sued from destroying evidence intentionally or unintentionally. So it's important to have a balanced playing field. The insurance companies for the defendants clearly were on their way and were at, and are at the scene. And so it should be the same for those of the injured victims. They should have their representatives there as well, making sure that you know, it's a level playing field. So let's paint the picture of a worst case scenario for Travis Scott and the organisers of this festival. How big could the civil action be and how much could they be done for? Well, worst case scenario from a civil action standpoint is they could not only be hit for the damages such as your medical bills, people who lost wages, physical pain and mental anguish suffered, funeral bills as well. But there's something called gross negligence, which could allow a jury to award exemplary or punitive damages means to make an example out of the defendants. You can't do that in every case, only when you have really egregious facts or you have something that told us that this was foreseeable. In looking at some of the filings, Mr. Scott has had other incidences in his career where violent acts have occurred at his concerts. And so that type of conduct is going to be introduced and relied upon heavily for people seeking those exemplary or punitive damages. What about criminal charges, Randy? Yeah, that's a great question. So Texas recognizes a negligent homicide charge, which means I may not have intended someone to die, but my actions made it substantially certain someone would get hurt or possibly die. And you look at past conduct, so the conduct by the performers, whether they incited the crowd to create this push towards the stage, it will go to that gross negligence standard, which may allow the officials to bring negligent homicide charges. Even at this gig, he'd already had to stop the show for an ambulance coming into the crowd. And as you say, he's been convicted of minor charges twice for similar kind of incidents. There's also a civil suit 
in New York. So to make the argument that he didn't see any risk of this happening doesn't sound like it will hold much water in, in a court. This was a foreseeable occurrence. You have to have enough security. You have to have properly trained personnel in place to prevent this from happening. The fact that it happened tells you that someone just didn't do their job. What are the chances of Travis Scott or Drake being called upon to to give evidence? Almost 100% certainty they will have to be taken to give a deposition, which is a sworn statement under oath, not necessarily in the courtroom by the parties but it's almost a complete certainty that they will have to give depositions. Do you think this could ruin Travis Scott's career? You know, I don't know. It could ruin it or it could define it. You know, when people are hit at the crossroads of tragedy, they can take two routes and and possibly, you know, this can be a route where Travis Scott becomes something that he's, he's actually known for Houstonians. He's, he's been charitable. He's tried to help people in Houston this week leading up to the event. There were a number of events where, He was recognized for his charitable contributions. To say this guy has a heart made of stone wouldn't be true. To say maybe he used bad judgment of that night may be true. But I think this is a defining moment in his career, and I think it uh, will give us a chance to see who Travis Scott really is. Randy Sorrells, a lawyer from Houston. Katrina, this is obviously such a huge tragedy, and I think a lot of people were at their first gig in a long time. That's what makes me so sad. One of the victims was 14 years old. I think of my own kids and the types of concerts that I might want to take them to. It's going to really make me think twice about where I stand in the crowd now and the kinds of shows that that I might go and see live with them. Well, it might make organisers think twice. I know in the past they've brought in measures like D-bars that divide up crowds and T-bars that do the same thing. I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for gigs right now. This is a pretty scary reminder that sometimes that enthusiasm can be dangerous. All right, tomorrow on The Briefing, um, you might have heard this saying coming out of America at the moment, let's go Brandon. It's a lot more political than it sounds. All that tomorrow on The Briefing. Listener.